Welcome, everyone, to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. I am Matt, the brains behind this technical marvel which I've crafted with my own two hands and a little help from my robot helper. But joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Why don't you put on the suit? Let's go a few rounds. Today, we take a look back at the 2012 Avengers film that in many ways started this gigantic journey that Fantastic Geek has been on as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Indeed, we are nice to finally add, nay, re-add the uh, Avengers podcast coverage to our pantheon of Marvel movies. Uh, By the time you're listening to this on FantasticGeek.com, there will be a Marvel Movies tab with uh, all the podcast episodes for the Marvel movies. And uh, this this original uh, Avengers podcast that we did shrouded in mystery. There were ninjas involved. There was international espionage. The, the, the original, uh, the original real to real tape. It was recorded on taken somewhere lost in the Himalayas. And Pete, we're glad to kind of uh, replace it with this, uh, this reflective tome today. And we want to thank our pals down at hell's kitchen. Shwarma for sponsoring this episode too pooped to fight off your latest wave of Chitauri invaders? Well, stop on in to Hell's Kitchen Shawarma and fuel up today. The Shawarma helps you have the karma. All right, we catch you up on what went down. Uh, We're going to begin with the individual introductions to our characters and Matt, you know, several movies here into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, two Iron Mans, a Hulk, Thor, Captain America, five you go there to earn the sixth movie team up, not like that different comic company over there that, uh, earns it after uh, one really uh, poor imitation of uh, other Superman movies. Do you bleed? I don't. Um, And you know who doesn't bleed either, Matt, even though he only has one eye, is Nick Fury. Introduced to him as he hops out of the helicopter, which is a shot we've seen a couple times now in the Marvel cinematic universe um he arrives at the dark matter facility where shield is uh not only studying the tesseract but also developing technology based on it and it's all about to go it's it's really interesting to see him introduced here uh it's kind of shield at a at a height that obviously we have since lost and uh, would be remiss to mention, uh, or to not mention rather, that uh, it is Coulson who is receiving him there. Uh, but as you say, Pete, he descends down there to the uh, the research going on for the Tesseract, and uh, is quickly joined by another member of the future Avengers, the Hawk, up in his perch there as uh, Doctor Selwig of the Thor standalone introduces him. And before we really even get to know Clint Barton, we had seen him previously in the Thor movie as well. Um, He gets 
corrupted, much to the chagrin of an actor who recently disparaged uh, our next character that we will talk about here. I'm starting to think that Jeremy Renner is just a bit of a grumpy Gus. He didn't like the Hawkeye was was uh, you know kind of a baddie for part of the movie. Now he doesn't. Well, you can look into his recent comments. We won't even dignify them with da- dancing around to to you know not say precisely what they are. We just won't say it because uh, gentlemen don't use those words, Mister Renner. And the apology maybe certainly not as bad as the original comment, but when you couch it as, you know, I'm sorry if my comments about a fictional character offended you really go watch a Charlie Chan movie and tell me that there's nothing wrong with it in 2015 fictional characters count for messages. They do. And people are passionate about these characters and they want to respect the, the, the people who play them. And it was made kind of hard in that. But Matt, we'll talk a little bit more about Hawkeye in our dossier, evaluating him as a villain. Um, but the next character is uh, Black Widow here, uh, brilliantly introduced. And, you know, Joss Whedon is a huge fan of uh, the character, has really languished a lot of love on her. Introduced here in a bit of a bind. Pete, what is great about this scene, uh, and it's not even an instance of the movie having its cake and eating it too, you know, she's presented as the damsel in distress here, and then when that call comes in from Coulson, and, it, you know, she makes reference to, you know, this guy is giving me everything, and it's just this this realization that, you know, these three baddies are the, they're the boobs, Pete, they're the ones thinking that <laughs> that because she's quote-unquote demure and female and attractive and attractively dressed and all of that that therefore you know she is in a submissive state um instead she's using that all against them all against their preconceived notions and um it's it's a wonderful way to just say you know what she can be confident she can be attractive uh but most of all she is in control of this and she is great at her profession well, that she's in the little black cocktail dress and just hands out this beat down after, you know, taking the phone call and everything there. And then couple that with the mission she's sent on to go after the big guy here and to, to bring him back is uh, particularly effective. And nice writing too, you know, that, that, that she can, um, I'll say manipulate. I mean, I don't mean that as a negative, uh, but th- that she can manipulate the people that she is sent to go to go deal with as a shield agent. That makes her well suited to go manipulate Banner, who is this massive, uh, you know, X factor in terms of if the wrong thing is said, who could die? That's the potential there. And uh, I like that we're really getting this global sense that uh, mm-hmm. that Avengers gives us, where all of a sudden here we are in the Far East, and uh, and she's tracking him down. Right. We go from Russia to India and, you know, he's he's doing his best to limit his exposure, um, you know, in his non-powered state and help people out at the same time because he's a good guy. And, you know, that Natasha is able to get him in this hut after the little girl, you know, uh, snakes out of there and some echoes of the Black Widow program by by using the little girl there. 
um, since seen on Agent Carter. Uh, the idea with him that, you know, they have this tense conversation and she says they're alone and they're really surrounded the whole time when he shows this slightest bit of anger. Uh, it's almost like, you know, days without an incident here till we hulk out and, and we know it's coming in the movie. And and the addition of all those hidden guards out there, you know, suddenly being revealed to we the audience. It's such a great moment because it, it, it tells you it's a great reminder of the threat that this guy has. A guy who you haven't seen playing the Hulk before. A guy who, who you know, you haven't seen Hulk out, at least a character who you haven't seen Hulk out in a number of years in what at that point was you know certainly one of the two least popular of the the marvel movies um the other of course being iron man 2 uh but it's it's amazing how the script really is able to introduce these characters so far more to come in, in a way that really is effective with uh the considerations of the story Definitely. When we get to our next introduction here, really needs no introduction, Matt. The uh, <clears throat> the leader when it comes to attitude of the Avengers, Tony Stark, and his uh, manipulation here of the power that his suit and that he is still powered by at this point in the character's timeline. Um, he's the fulcrum. He's the one to push it forward. Uh, he was the first one to get a movie. He got two out of the first three movies and so important here to the team, the attitude, the actor, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s the man. You, you could have no one else play Tony Stark and to develop him even further in this film, particularly in light of his story uh, and his journey was really really important and also a nice kind of update in terms of his uh, growth as a character that he's focusing on green energy sustainable energy so so far from you know that reveal early on in iron man of the explosion and his arms out christ-like you know here he is uh, the the giver the creator of all these weapons um and just to see that he's taken his genius for a bit more of a uh, an altruistic application we talk about uh, our next introduction here, The Man Frozen in Time, the film that occurred right before, and uh, this, the scene, the secret scene in between, really kind of playing out here again <clears throat> with uh, Steve Rogers and him uh, beating on the speed bag, drops it, picks up one of several others there, and that Fury is the guy to come and recruit him and bring him into the fold to the Avengers initiative. Certainly not a miscalculation. It's, it's a, uh, it's a simple trick, but a good one that, you know, whatever is in the bags clearly is not, you know, the normal material. So the actor can pick it up and whatnot. Um, you know, as soon as you see it unfolding, you can see, you know, Oh, that's the trick they must've pulled, but it's so effective. Nonetheless, uh, and of course, that plus you know the the charisma that Chris Evans has and whatnot. Um, one would then logically think in the pattern that we would quickly get to Thor, but I appreciate that the particulars of the story then really fully start to unfold here. And I think it's it's near maybe the forty five or fifty minute mark uh, when we finally get uh, Thor introduced into the story. 
right, we've already captured Loki and uh, to introduce his brother at that time just made, you know, from a foil perspective, too much sense rather than rat-a-tat-tat, here are all of your Avengers and now go do the thing. You know, that's why Whedon is, you know, the story crafter that he really is when he does this. And Thor puts the cherry on the Sunday, and we get that, you know, wonderful back and forth, both with him and his brother, and then with Stark and Captain America to really propel us forward. In retrospect, it it is obvious that the movie is better for them to have tension and, you know, in, in these early scenes where they're all together. Uh, but I don't know that it's it's the most logical place that you would start at with draft one of a script. You kind of would think, well, we want this buddy movie, so let's get them all together as soon as possible, working together. Um, but all those scenes in the helicarrier of just these people with an incredibly different perspective and no time spent together, um, just kind of acknowledgments of each other's reputation and a bunch of people with you know, in a, in a couple of cases, uh, Thor and Stark, big egos, and a couple of cases, people who are much more humble, uh, and, uh, frankly, the rest. Um, but just this notion that they all know that 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 they are all so spectacular, um, and they're not used to kind of sharing. Even even the most humble among them, you know, Captain America is kind of kind of used to being the guy who can just be like, well, maybe I'll go out on a date with her and then jump out of a helicarrier because he's, or jump out of a, you know, of a plane because he's off to the next mission. Um, the, you know, the tension really serves them well. Having united for the first time, the scene that cements this movie is when they're all in the lab around Loki's, um, you know, spear, his scepter, and, uh, you know, the phase two Tesseract weapons have uh, come to light. And, you know, Banner has the, the great line, you know, we're not a team, we're a time bomb here. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. And they need to still find themselves as a team. And that's the beautiful thing here. It has to be earned, Matt, as we've talked and it is earned through what they go through together. Absolutely. And I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, because I know we discussed it earlier. There really is this need to earn this. You can't just mishmash it together. Um, and of course, the the uh, the ability, the flashpoint to have them come together uh, as a team is uh, just that the attack on the helicarrier, where despite all the fantastic technology, and I think, you know, I certainly was amazed at the notion of, you know, the, the fact that this aircraft carrier can fly and be cloaked and all of that. But it's it's presented so cleanly there that it really is a shock when all of a sudden it's tremendously under attack. Definitely. And, you know, to go from the tension uh, between the future Avengers to them having to roll up their sleeves and keep this helicarrier in the air, uh, deal with uh, Banner hulking out, uh, all part of Loki's uh, master scheme here to uh, reap chaos amongst these uh, characters, done really, really effectively. 
not to mention the fact that, you know, Hawkeye is leading the uh <clears throat> the uh the Loki faction, if you will, to uh get him out and uh everything that goes on with that from you know Stark getting in the uh rotor, which then, you know, enables him come Captain America Winter Soldier to you know, upgrade the repulsor technology on their helicarriers to he and Cap uh, working alongside, whereas they were going to come to blows moments before then, just handled so deftly and thrillingly. It really is. You know, it's a big action set piece going on, but as with all things, it must serve the story. Otherwise, it's just a loud movie with explosions and, you know, the fact that they really are coming together here as a team, um, it, it's so evident in scene after scene. Um, but, of course, the story knows you need that last thing to push it over the edge. And um, shockingly, shockingly, that uh, occurs in the, um, you know, the round room where the Hulk cage was. And, uh, I mean, Pete, you and I saw the, uh, saw the film together opening weekend. Opening night, son. Opening night. There you go. It was the second time I had seen it, but you know, to see it with a crowd was important <laughs> for me. Um, a spoiler, Pete. It was, uh, you know, it was a packed theater, of course. And um, when when Coulson gets stabbed, there was just this shock, this audible shock, because this, of course, had, you know, was a was a minor character, but a character that had been developed in movie after movie, particularly once this this thing called Marvel Cinematic Universe got rolling. He now was the glue. And when it was like, for realsies that he's been killed, I just remember, I know you remember it too, Pete, there was just there was just, just a hush over the audience because people were realizing that, that this had happened and, and to a character that, that, they, that, that, that was so beloved. And then there was, there was a 12-year-old boy about four rows in front of us all the way over to the right, and you just hear him say, Man, this is some bull beep, and nobody laughed because it wasn't funny. That, that's what people were feeling. Not not that the movie had crossed a line, but just movie. How could you do this to us? This hurts. And it, it, it was outrage. And you know, here I know it's coming, and I'm watching you react in this. I'm not watching the screen because I've already seen it and I want to see other people and then to hear that comment and when we were lucky enough Matt to interview uh, Clark Gregg last year um, for our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast bringing up that moment and you know his recollection of like you know reading that and I'm like oh I just got this and I'm I'm in the movie and you know the whole the wonderful stuff with Captain America and everything there and now you kill me off you know is there there a way we bring me back and and anything there you know people were saying in the theaters and telling him oh we love that guy and then Matt before that weekend is out hashtag Colson lives and that was a hashtag for a time, and then it kind of kind of went away. And I remember fast forward to uh, the following to, to New York Comic Con of that year, or so about yeah. what three four months later. The, you know, the and we had October. seen him at the previous New York Comic Con, the 2011 con, before the release of Avengers in May of 2012, and saw him in in a much less uh, shall we say prominent role. Brought out. 
uh, because he was going to be doing some voice work for the Spider-Man uh, cartoon. And it was like, oh, it's that guy who does the things, you know. And um, it was at it was at that you know at that Comic Con, not the not the one before Avengers came out, the one after, where I just remember all of a sudden, hashtag Colson Lives was just through the roof as you could just sense that there was something building and it, it of course was at that uh, that comic-con where they announced that there was going to be you know a real thing that colson really is going to live and that now uh, there was going to be a show called agents of shield and really you know the the mothership for uh marvel for tv our mothership as a uh, a podcast so none of this happens without um that scene there uh and everything that's come since without that bull beep yeah yeah this this is some bull stuff (laughs) but we go from there that you know his death unites the avengers what a what a way to to go out at least he's thinking he's gone out here and we are then um you know brought together for this battle of New York. And I remember beforehand, you know, people were so, uh, you know, interested. What is it that's going to be attacking New York and, and everything? And it still wasn't even clear through this part of the movie, you know, what is going to be this? They were very careful in the advertising to not put that out there. And all hell breaks loose. And as big a fight as it is, they also have a way of keeping it feel um, feel personal. You know, they're constantly with our heroes, and you're constantly seeing smaller portions of the action. And I don't mean that in a negative way at all, but I I, I just mean things like um, you know when when Cap and Thor are kind of um, you know more on street level, there might be. 10 guys fighting them. It's not some CG shot of them surrounded by a hundred guys. Um, when buildings are being smashed into by the, you know, the, fl- the flying, you know, like whale like creature, um, you get a good crunch, you get, you know, lots of glass falling, but it's not kind of the notion of, you know, and, and I hate to keep doing the comparison between the two universes, but you don't have buildings being knocked down. And, and part of me kind of hates that we're, we're always, ragging on on the dc movies you know each time we podcast from from where i sit i can see man of steel number one from 1986 and behind me is a is a statue from uh from the the kingdom come graphic novel uh, you know statue of superman but in man of steel they're killing thousands of people and there's buildings smashing everywhere and just because it's bigger doesn't make it better and the Battle of New York in this movie is appropriately scaled where you're, you're seeing it at the human level. You're seeing the couple of cops saying, go here, go there, and Captain America redirecting them. One of those cops looks a lot like, uh, what's his name from uh, Agent Carter, by the way. Um, but you just get that moment Sousa. of, <laughs> of Sousa. You know, one, one of our heroes and two of our cops directing a couple of unseen people. It's it is this big action piece. It doesn't need to be abject destruction and the character moments within that and the, the team ups and everything there, you know, the, the tension breaking Hulk punch of Thor, um, uh, Captain America using his shield to reflect, to refract, uh, Tony Stark's lasers, 
uh, Black Widow being flung by Captain America onto the uh, Chitari sleds there. Even uh, Stark's conversation with Loki before his armor is uh, sent to pick him up there to kind of kick us into high gear. It's all such great stuff. You can't not, even on rewatches, Matt, you can't not watch it and just have it on in the background. It commands attention. It's perfect pacing. Big moments followed by pauses. There's humor in there. Um, human moments. It's, it's really a, a study on how you do a big scene like this. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. We begin ordinarily with the other. Played by... That would be played by Alexis Denisoff. Uh, I know Buffy and Angel fans know him well. Uh, those of us who uh, who enjoyed Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing know him from the uh, the title role. Not the title role, but the, uh, the, the main male role in that. Um, and, you know, <laughs> what's ironic is I didn't know the actor very well, at least until seeing Much Ado. You know, handsome guy, et cetera, et cetera. And here is the other, the, the six-fingered other. <laughs> He's completely covered in makeup. Yes. And, you know, he we see him before we see anybody else. He's talking about the <clears throat> mission Loki's going on. We don't even see Loki early. We don't know who he's talking to just yet. Uh, there's the name check of the Chitari. So really effectively sets the stage here in this prologue. Absolutely. And kind of that uh, that go between. And um, I mean, again, I don't need to have watched much of uh of a whedon show to appreciate that somebody who is part of that group was given a role like this and um nice indeed and also a springboard to loki himself yes and you know what can't you say about uh tom hiddleston and you know his rampant popularity as a result of this role um popular from thor and then just exploded on a different level to the point where they rewrote uh, a lot of future plans to be able to incorporate this character as much as possible. And you know what's funny? You go back and watch the first Thor movie. There is scene after scene where Loki is just kind of there, maybe has a line or two, maybe has none. And if it was a standalone movie, you would probably not just, you know, simply just not have him there. But he's included because there really is this trajectory of scene after scene where he's witnessing things, where he's saying small things to give insight to his character, to propel him where he is this full, angry, misguided force in this film. Um, and and I like that they're able to present him in a way where he's got his agenda, he's aligned with the other and with Thanos, or, you know, at least Thanos by by implication for the most part. But it's just kind of this notion of, He's not working for them. He's working with them because he has he has a, a dark plan of his own. Well, there's a scene uh, as we're in the process of trying to track down all of our Avengers as Loki is, you know, gathering shields, enemies and uh, preparing his strike where he, uh, you know, moves through space and time back to that sanctuary area where the other is and 
there's these overtones that Loki's will is not exactly his own that, you know, he almost looks as he's doing this, that he's going to be ill. And, uh, there's real pressure on him. Uh, the character's hair was longer in this film and the circles around the eyes in particular, um, were very much played up, you know, along with the, the long sweaty hair that, you know, He's been through a lot, and this is taking a physical toll on him, despite being, um, you know, not immortal, but you know, much more, um, you know, powered than human beings. Absolutely, and I think that that only adds to the appeal of the character—the fact that it's not mustache twirling villainy here. He really is, um, you know, it's with a heavy heart that he's doing these things because, of course, he is the hero to his own story, just not the hero in ours. Pete, we then move to his uh, his his little little uh, helpers there, Hawkeye under under duress from the uh, the the mystical powers. Same thing for Selvig. They're kind of his uh, personal flying monkeys. Hey, I got that reference. <laughs> But, you know, it, it's nice, particularly with the character of Eric Selvig, that um, that he's able to play a role in this movie to the degree that he does. You know, an, uh, an actor that has had increasing prominence in recent years, especially with the, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and right. whatnot. And just the fact that he is so perfectly, at least the character of Selvig, is so perfectly primed to play a supporting role in this film in terms of making the technological who's he what's go. Um, it really just helps cement the, the planning that the Marvel cinematic universe has to be able to use your sidekicks from other movies as your scientific bad guy here. And like you said, Matt, you know, the, the beeps and boops of it, you know, we we need this and, you know, all right, I need to unlock that and everything there. Um, you know, Stellan Skarsgård, just a, a wonderful choice for that. With uh, Hawkeye, you know, and like we said, much to Renner's chagrin, cast largely as, as the bad guy in this. But let's let's look, too, that despite that, he's he's really good doing it. There's there's just a a coldness that he brings that you know black widow explains you know he gave her the other option he didn't take her out he took her in they have this connection and humanizes this guy who's been taken over here rather than making him one note so i greatly disagree with renner's assessment of the character all right you only got to play him partially like that, but he's much more three-dimensional. Indeed. Uh, it seems that Renner doesn't like, uh, doesn't like it when other roles aren't as big as his. You know, ah, uh, ah, uh, frailty, thy name is Ego. Pete, no uh, Avengers dossier would be complete without, of course, mentioning the, uh, the mid-credit reveal of Thanos. Huge to go to this scale at this point, sixth movie, um, still in play in the Marvel Cinematic Universe since gotten an actor cast in Josh Brolin. We, all we got from this guy was a smile and the presence, but that's all you needed at this point to know, wow, 
they've really pulled back the curtain. People didn't know what they were looking at when they saw it and, and went and Googled it and what is this and ooh, Infinity Gauntlet and the idea that the conflict can be drawn out even more and now we're bringing people from much further away. Really, really interesting, um, potential-filled stuff. And it works so well for the casual fan, which let's not be ignorant is making up at least a small minority or, or a significant minority. I mean to say of these movie ticket sales um, where you can just kind of say, you know, it was like that, that like grinning mysterious guy in space at the end of the one movie. And it's like, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And then he shows up in guardians of the galaxy. Oh yeah. He's kind of, you know, he's, he's like a, like, like a chief bad guy or something. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's enough of a, kind of a, a prelude so when he is going to show up in shoot three years from now four years from now it's or, gonna be or maybe a little sooner oh man um pete you always you always have the info by the way pete side note don't mean to interrupt the podcast here how was your flight to europe so that you could see uh um <laughs> age voltron before most people in these united states um you know, the, the Quinjet is a marvel, uh, literally and figuratively, but it can be a little bumpy on the reentry. <laughs> but anyhow, it's it's great that they have this this idea for the Infinity Wars movies to be just so so great in scale, to have part one and part two and all of that to really be an event beyond events. And they are giving that its due by slowly be, uh, leading up to it years and years in advance. Yeah, I mean, we're going to sit down in a theater in a couple years, and this character would have been introduced five, six years before. That's tremendous. And, you know, slowly given more and more as we go and just little tastes. But uh, it's, it's going to be huge. Time to analyze and theorize, Matt. First up, mention Thanos in the last segment. What is his plan? You know what, Pete? Any good villain is going to take time working on their plan, whether it's a heist movie, whether it's uh, you know a political thriller, and the notion that he's kind of you know taking taking the opportunity of an angry Loki to get him involved to to. Uh, draw attention to this little backwater world of earth he's prepared to do that to prepare to set some uh set some soldiers into that and then to, to you know to just kind of keep pressing to keep looking to keep um to keep continuing on with his larger plan i confess what is it i do not know i i, I i'm much less familiar with the uh the comic story that uh, will be retold in cinematic form in the next couple in the next couple of years but um, I just love that he is patient enough to slowly be trying to head towards, you know, all domination of everything and to just do it one step at a time. It's the long con and the realization since in the reveal that the Tesseract is one of many Infinity Stones that uh, we've had drawn out across the last several movies in Phase 2, where it's all going in the space of time and everything else is interesting to watch. He's a compelling villain and we've only gotten a taste yet. 
It is Pete, as you so often say off the air, an adventure in time and space. Yes. Speaking of adventure, this is essentially Loki's story from a villain standpoint. So it makes sense to talk about his plan and his goal here in getting a world, you know, set up in the prologue here. A world will be his, the Tesseract ours. So denied Asgard, he wants Midgard. Part of what makes Loki so sympathetic is his basic motivation while, um, you know, brought to an inappropriate conclusion is something understandable. It's a desire for family. It's a desire for truth. It's, it's a desire to, to know oneself and to know one's family. And, uh, you know, again, just because one finds out adopt, that, the, that they are adopted does not mean you should now try and destroy um, your 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 entire family and where they live nor should you uh try and get revenge on your brother by uh destroying the place where his girlfriend lives like her planet um but it, you know what it's sympathetic that that notion of you know he feels less special than he thought he was he feels less appreciated less loved um that is at the very core there and him just raging out and wanting to get as much revenge as possible again not the appropriate response but one that i think we can kind of get behind and go yeah you know what there have been times that i've just been personally offended by by x and and i see where loki's coming from for a second it's shakespearean in its notes and that whedon who went from this to you know dropping much ado about nothing a shakespearean comedy after this it's no mistake um, the, the plan is in terms of scale, not enormous like that of Thanos that takes, you know, uh, 15 movies to unfurl, but it's, it's built out of, you know, the, the sibling rivalry with his brother, the tragedy of, you know, finding out about himself and everything there. And again, forward momentum in terms of the story and the character opening our mailbag here matt we look at itunes at our reviews and this is a place where we like avengers help one another um you leave us your feedback which we really do take to heart and uh, in that, you help other people find this podcast and all that we do. If you're listening to this, it's either on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. feed or the Pop Culture Podcast feed. Now, of course, over the summer, there's not going to be Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's not going to be Daredevil. There's not going to be Agent Carter. There's not going to be AKA Jessica Jones. There's just going to be Ant-Man out there in the middle of the summer. Uh, so the pop culture podcast feed, that's going to be a place this summer where things are going to heat up. We have some really fun ideas in mind to kind of, you know, make it, make a little bit of a party atmosphere on the pop culture podcast feed, some different, some different things going on, probably get a couple polls up to see, uh, to see what people would like as well. But, some guests. Um, hey, you know what, Pete, you never, you never know who might stop by. But I do. Uh, that's the problem. Well, that's true. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely if you're not subscribed to the pop culture podcast feed, subscribe now is a great time because, uh, it's going to be a great summer ahead. 
But Pete, the greatest gift, of course, is that people get to interact with you on Twitter. How can they do so? You can find me at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 5,659 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can always be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. We are a fantastic geek. That is fantastic with a PH. The best way to be in touch is on Twitter. And there's also the .com and the Gmail. But Pete, just like a helicarrier, there's another new technological way that the kids are the kids are sending their their kick kick Skype tweets. And what is it? <laughs> Facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with a PH, all one word. Just another way to get on there and interact with us. Uh, heads up into what we're doing and polls and all sorts of other things that you would like to be in on. So make it official, like us, and we'll pop up on your feed. And with that, Pete, I can't believe a week from now we will be talking uh, talking Avengers, Age of Ultron. It's just incredible. Um, the buildup has been great. And uh, I'm glad that we've been able to restore to our to our universe, our Marvel Cinematic Universe, the star that is Avengers, uh, to our uh, you know podcast collection of those movies. Indeed. Well, that Pete, I will say, Avengers assemble to all our listeners and give you the final word. That man is playing Galga. Thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> 